This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I am excited to welcome Dr. Whitney Cazares to the show. Dr. Whitney is a board-certified pediatrician, author, speaker, and working mom. And today, I have invited her here to talk about when we've got a colicky or fussy baby, those witching hours, the crying in the nighttime, how to handle that as parents. As a pediatrician, she's worked with so many children, so many families, and she knows all the things to rule out when it comes to baby crying. One of the things I love about Dr. Whitney is that she is mom-centered, and she really understands the toll that a colicky, fussy baby can have on mothers and parents. In this episode today, we talk about why moms feel inadequate during the baby witching hour and when their child is fussing and they can't get them to stop crying. We discuss how to reframe our mindset about crying and whether it's a bad thing. We talk about simple ways to make these witching hours and fussy hours easier on yourself. And we top it off with some really self-soothing statements and words of encouragement that we can share with ourselves when we're facing these challenging, fussy, and often sleepless nights. I loved this conversation, and I know you will too. If you've got another mom friend who is right in the throes of it, with witching hours, fussy, teething babies, colicky babies, I encourage you to share this episode with them so that they too can know that they're not doing it wrong. Sometimes babies are just really hard and they're not alone in their struggles. Let's hear my conversation with Dr. Whitney. The postpartum period is a major transition in your life. Overnight, you went from being able to care for yourself to having a little baby rely on you for every need. Sleep deprivation, crying, uncertainty in your parenting choices, these can all take a toll on your mental health. While baby blues are normal and will resolve on their own in a few weeks, many moms suffer from more. If you find yourself irritable, depressed, anxious, experiencing loss of interest in the things you used to enjoy, or simply feeling unlike yourself, you could be experiencing postpartum depression or anxiety. It might be time to seek help. The Happy as a Mother Wellness Center can connect you with a maternal mental health therapist. We offer teletherapy services, allowing us to connect anywhere with secure and convenient appointments that save you time and hassle. You can access much needed mental health care from your desktop, laptop, tablet, or phone. Your mental health matters. Take the first step towards wellness by booking a free 15-minute consultation with a mom therapist near you. Visit happyasamother.co slash book to schedule your free consult today. That's happyasamother.co slash book. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we're dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. We all had expectations going into motherhood, but reality often has a different plan. Let's work together in shattering unrealistic expectations, letting go of shame and guilt, and accepting where we are on our motherhood journey. We'll pack a toolbox for motherhood with expert advice, practical tips, relatable stories, real moments, and honest conversations. My goal is to give you the knowledge, tools, and resources you need to parent more freely. However, this podcast should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. 
It's time to do motherhood differently, toss out the idea of perfect, and enjoy the journey. Let's dive in. Dr. Whitney, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I stumbled across your Instagram and got in a deep dive of your content and was like, I just got to have you on. So thank you for being here. Oh, absolutely. It's my pleasure. The more we can do to show moms that they are not alone, the better. So happy to be here. I find your story and your platform and your experience so interesting because I see a lot of pediatricians on social media, you know, as of late, and they're very baby focused. I mean, that makes sense. That's mm-hmm. what you went to school for. That's your your training and designation. But your take really underpins and like upholds mom as well. Can you tell me a little bit about your work and your story, how you found yourself here? Yeah. So the reason that I care about supporting moms and not just their kids and not just kind of traditionally pediatric focus issues is because I know firsthand that when a mom is not doing well, her kids are not going to thrive in their full capacity or to the same potential that they could. I was a go-getter valedictorian at my high school, like work as hard as you can type of person. I got to Stanford in residency, basically by like sheer will. You know, I was not the smartest person in the room, like with the best SAT Mm. scores, but I was definitely had that like hustler mentality. And I thought that I could really do it all. I really bought into this lie that overproductivity and kind of like hustle culture and even like this manifesting thing of like, I'm just going to believe it and then it'll be it was the answer to finding true success. And so when I became a pediatrician, I really was the yes girl. Like people wanted me to stay extra and see a patient. I would say 100%. I'm on it. If I needed to work harder in order to make sure that I was seen as like the most accommodating professional possible, I would do it. I was on the executive committees, all that stuff. And it worked really well for me until I had kids and specifically my first daughter. Mm -hmm. So my first daughter, I was really full of myself and thought that it would be easy because I was a pediatrician. pediatrician. I know. I know all the things, you know, to be brutally honest, I think back then, this is like almost 10 years ago, I would look at parents who were struggling and think like, come on, get it together. Like, just try a little harder. Look on the internet. Like, what's wrong with you, you know? And um, and then I had her and she didn't sleep for more than 45 minutes at a time. And she was all kinds of colic. And hmm. then even as she got older, she wouldn't potty train in the way that I thought like I'd been trained to help potty train somebody or sleep train. And Then she started having all of these other behavioral issues that as a Mm. pediatrician, I knew were outside of the typical spectrum of quote unquote normal. And so my husband and I started going to parent coaches and to psychologists and to psychiatrists. And I found myself having to lean really hard into her to make things not fall apart in my family and in my personal life. But then also I was still going full steam at work and I was trying to put on this perfect face of like, it's all going fine and like, it's all good. And inside I was crumbling and I had this sense of just losing who I was being constantly in a state of anxiety and really starting to cope in a way with all that stress 
in ways that caused collateral damage, not just for myself, but for everyone else around me because of the burnout that I was facing. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I think like a lot of people who end up like inventing something or creating some cool answer or solution to a problem, it was definitely out of necessity Mm -hmm. that I found like, if I am like one of the best trained pediatricians in the country and I still can't make this work, like there must be something that's broken in the system and in my approach to it. And so over time, I developed this framework that became kind of modern mommy doc and the blogs and the podcasts and the books and all the things that we do there. But it was really built on trying to be the antithesis of you know, everything's perfect. If you just try hard enough, it'll be better. Like you just need to like believe it more. And instead really trying to be based off reclaiming your sense of self, organizing and preventing stress as much as possible. And then when it does happen, coping with it in a way that's actually going to be productive for you long-term and for everybody else around you. Yeah. I see myself in your story, like therapist, play therapist, worked with kids and families for like almost a decade before having my own kids. And I find myself in motherhood after working with all these parents, you know, thinking I knew nothing like Mm -hmm. of what this really demanded of me. And I find that approach and that whole system view of yours so valuable because I think about topics like the one we're covering today about why is my baby crying and why is it stirring up so much anxiety in me? Why can't I tolerate it? And I feel like this is a two-pronged conversation. There is the real legitimate physical reasons why our baby might be crying and some things to troubleshoot from a care perspective. Mm-hmm. And then there is this maternal mental health or you know parents' mental health perspective that like, why are we having such a strong reaction to this yes. crying, right? So maybe we start from the basics. How about we start with like why babies cry and some of the contributing factors and we can build on this conversation from there. Yeah. And I agree with you that that is the more basic, straightforward conversation because babies cry, generally speaking, because they have immature nervous systems and they have immature communication systems. So literally the only way that they can give us data about what they need is to cry. Mm. They can cry because they want our attention. They can cry because they're hungry, because they are tired, because they're too cold, because they're too hot, because they're in pain, because they're just generally uncomfortable or feeling fussy. So all of these different reasons why babies cry, and yet we have all of these images across Instagram, across social media. I think lots of books are like how-to books that are basically show that like, if you're a good mom, your baby does not do this very much. That there is mm. something kind of like wrong with you if your baby is constantly crying. If you can't soothe them yeah. or if you can't interpret their cry, then you're not doing it correctly, right? Exactly. Then you must be doing something wrong. And I think because of that, that's why moms start to have this, this feeling of like, I'm inadequate, or I am maybe not as good a problem solver as other people, or me and my baby are abnormal, everybody else is having this normal experience, because kind of everywhere they look are either like quick how to's to get a baby to stop crying, 
Mm. or are images of perfectly happy babies that are curated, both on social media and like out in the world in general? It speaks so much about the lens through which we're viewing it and our interpretation. And a really old story comes to my mind. I was taking one of my babies, gosh, of the three boys. Do you think I can remember which one it was? No, (laughs) No. but it was one of them. And he was in the car seat in the back and my friend was with me. We were going to the Santa Claus parade and he was like barking away in the back, like not content to be in his car seat, like squawking, not enough that like he's going to like vomit and gag, like he wasn't freaking in that way, Mm -hmm. but enough that like my anxiety, I was like white knuckling the steering wheel because I couldn't tolerate the fact that I'm like, what, inflicting some kind of harm on him that he's in his car seat. And so I vocalized this out loud to my friend saying like, oh my gosh, like he's crying and I'm, it stresses me out. And, and she's like, I vocalize it as like, he's communicating with you. Like he doesn't like his car seat right now. And like, he's, he's letting you know that, you know? And she's like, I don't see it as distress. I see it as like a form of communication. And I was Mm -hmm. like, well, that's a way to look at it, but I don't feel that yeah. way right now, you know? Yeah. And so can we talk about like, I guess how to interpret or how to know for a mom who maybe gets activated by all cries equally, mm-hmm. right? Because that cry to me was not like a distress, panic, and pain cry. Now I've had three kids and like the kids can cry now. And I'm like, that's not a real cry. So right. I got to a stage where I can identify it better. Yep. But for the mom who's maybe first time or listening and feels activated every time, how can we start to like parse it apart a little bit? Yeah. I think the other person to add to that list is maybe the mom who's had like trauma, minor T trauma of okay. some type with yeah. her older kid, right? Like my younger child was not colicky one bit. She was way easier. I always say she was like gentler on me. But she would start crying and it would be a much like gentler, easier cry. And I would still have the white knuckle response because my body remembered all of those nights of driving around Mm. in loops around the city and like the sleeplessness. It was like a PTSD response to what happened to me with my first child. So physically, I would respond even when the cry, I knew intellectually that this was not a cry that was a big deal or that would last forever like it did previously. Yeah. I think the biggest thing to do, the biggest tool that you can sharpen, and I think nobody gets perfect at it, is the ability to create a mindful pause for yourself Hmm. and to tap into mindful self-compassion. So Mindful self-compassion is built off Kristen Neff's work. She wrote a book that's about this. We've had her, we've had her on the show yeah, before. Okay, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So it's this idea of data comes in. The cry is just data that's coming in or a signal comes in. I could either react to that instinctively and like let my body's natural reaction to it take over. Like with your nervous system, you mean like however right. your body wants to react. Yeah, yeah exactly. So like my second child starts crying, I immediately grab onto the steering wheel and I'm white knuckling and I start to panic, basically. Yes. Yeah. Or I could lean into that second of pause to actually evaluate what the data means. Like to be able to say, okay, huh, my baby's crying. I feel stressed. Or even now my six and nine-year-old are like screaming, I feel stressed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Number one, That makes so much sense because of what's happened to me or because any mom would feel stressed about that. Number two, okay, it doesn't make me like a bad person or a bad mom that I am stressed out by that. 
And then after that, like, I bet I could fill a coliseum full of other moms who would feel the exact same way given the experience that I've had. And that literally two millisecond or three millisecond change from like immediate with the heart rate up and gripping the steering wheel to like, okay, I'm okay, allows you to then respond in a way that's helpful. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's, okay, I need to pull over the car and check on my baby. That's what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's, I just need to take a deep breath and remind myself that this is not the same experience that I had. Or maybe it's, yeah, I'm going to be kind of panicked right now and that's okay. And I'm going to get home and then I'm going to soothe myself then. Maybe it's, okay, you know what? I can't make a conscious plan that's really responsive right now, but later on I'm going to make a plan that maybe I need to limit in this season of my child's life how many times I'm out in the car with them and that I feel like I'm out of control when they're crying and that I can't respond in the way that I need to. So I think that's the biggest thing is tapping into awareness to self-compassion and trying to choose as often as possible responsiveness versus reaction. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of advice from our pediatrician where we were having sleep troubles and the baby was like attached to my bed in a co-sleeper and I heard every grunt and every wiggle and every turnover and she's like, maybe move it a little further away and maybe just let him fuss for just a minute yeah, and just see what happens. But my anxiety and like how activated I became so instantly caused me to like get up and intervene right away. I didn't have the tolerance to even like sit for a minute. Yeah. And so I would leave him for a minute sometimes and his like grunts and groans would like taper off and he'd go back to sleep. Other times he'd escalate and I'd go in, but I would just like give it a little beat for a minute. And it leads me to this question of, is crying a bad thing? Because hear me out. I hear like, oh, he's such a good baby, you know, implying like he doesn't fuss, he doesn't cry. So that when babies cry, it's bad or we're failing, as you said. But is it bad? Should we see it through that lens? Or how should we be reframing our baby crying? Yeah, no. I mean, I don't think it's bad. I don't think it means you're bad. I don't think it means your child is bad. I think it's a reflection potentially of their wiring could it mean it's something that you need to pay attention to if it's going on for a long time and you need to kind of go through your checklist of things that you actually can control? Like, oh, maybe they have a dirty diaper. Maybe they're tired, like blah, blah, blah. Sure. Could it also mean, though, that your child is like going to be a world changer? I mean, I truly believe that my kiddo who cried all the time and who now gets upset easily, more easily than other people, is just wired so sensitively that she can see someone else's pain before they talk about it. Mm. That she can like sense what's wrong with the situation before anyone else can. And that eventually that's going to lead her to make like global change or community level change, you know, because of who she is. So it's actually at that point when she was a baby, it was not a reflection on me. It was not a reflection of her as like a bad kid. It was just like part of our story, part of what it is. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's something to that, to like crying, not being bad, that it's simply being data. Data, communication. Yeah. 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 
I think that neutralizes it a little bit. Like when we can look at it and say, okay, like as you said, data, or we can look at it and say, okay, this is the only means of communication that this little babe has with me right now. Of course, Mm -hmm. they're going to squawk and make noise about something. We take it away from it being about like how good of a job we're doing. Like we depersonalize this and we become mindful and we notice and we engage our problem solving skills versus seeing it as us failing and sort of getting all worked up and out of sorts, right? Which I mean, takes practice. Yeah. Like that's a skill that it has to be learned and practiced. But I think that being able to distance it from a reflection of us and have this like sort of, you know, morality attached to it can help us look at it a little bit more objectively. Yeah, totally. And one exercise that I encourage new parents to do is to try to place yourself in a position where it's like, you zoom out and maybe you're looking at at yourself and your baby in a bubble and you're like outside of the bubble or like you're looking at yourselves on a screen and you are outside of that screen. So like you're watching a movie of you and your baby. So trying to, like you said, like depersonalize or like separate yourself like a little bit emotionally because if you were watching a friend go through the experience that you are going through with your baby, you would have so much empathy for that friend. You would have so much empathy Mm. for that baby. And you also wouldn't be so caught in the middle of it emotionally that you weren't able to see like what might be some solutions or what might be able to allow you to problem solve. So sometimes if you can visualize yourself like in a bubble looking in at yourself, like you are somebody else, that can help. Or I've put myself like I'm on a perch in a tree and I'm looking down at myself on the ground, that type of thing when I'm at my most activated. It's such helpful advice because as you said, when we are activated and really panicky and anxious in the moment, we are tunnel visioned on like the crying and making it stop Mm -hmm. that we actually can't really engage our problem solving skills. Like that's just how our body is functioning in that moment. So to be able to step away, like I have to practice this a lot now that my kids are more school age and they're getting older with some behaviors we have. And one of my boys is ADHD and we've got, oh, we've got some things we deal with. (laughs) And, uh, you know, thank my own genes and ADHD for that. And so there is a lot of like problem solving and playfulness. And like there is a lot of responsibility on a parent's part to try to coach and walk through these behaviors and, and manage them. But if I'm activated, let me tell you. There is no creative solutions coming out of me because I'm just like, I need to like walk away and like get some perspective and then re-enter the situation again. And I think that that's a great tool even when we've got our fussy newborns to have like a a tag team relationship with a partner or a family member or support person or a friend that if we don't have perspective anymore, if we're so tunnel visioned and really feeling like we've lost control – how can we step away and, and regain some control and perspective? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I have with my partner, with my husband, and I definitely coach other women to do this, to create like a word or to create some type of physical gesture that allows the other person in an instant to know that basically you're totally done and that you need them to step in or you're about to be totally mm. done. So that could be like a hand on the shoulder or like a hand on the arm, or that could be like, I'm done. Or that could be like pickles and ketchup. I don't know, whatever you want your code word like to be. Like a code word. Exactly. Yeah. But something like that, that's like pre-discussed so that that way, when you're in those moments, you don't have to have this paragraph long conversation. It can be instantaneous. And explain all the context. Like they just know in that moment, they just know. 
As busy moms, the last thing we need is more on our to-do list. It's hard enough to remember who needs what packed for school, when the next doctor's appointment is, and when to register for events, let alone remembering to call and cancel subscriptions that drain your finances every month. That's why Rocket Money is so great. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. You can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you notice something that you don't want, Rocket Money can help you cancel it with a few taps. They even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash momwell. That's rocketmoney.com slash momwell. Feeding the family is one of the most all-consuming parts of the invisible load. Meal planning, shopping, trying to balance nutrition, finding the time to actually cook with little ones needing your focus and attention can be so stressful. But Factor makes it easy. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals take the mental load off your plate, providing pre-prepared, chef-crafted meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to select from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan plus veggie, and more. You can even choose from over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, including snacks and smoothies. With Factor, there's no prep and no mess. The meals are 100% ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. That means no cooking and no cleanup, which is great for busy moms. You can choose the schedule that works for you and your family. Choosing six to 18 meals per week and pausing or rescheduling your deliveries is quick and easy. Reclaim some time and reduce your mental load with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use the code momwell50 to get 50% off. That's code momwell50 at factormeals.com slash momwell50 to get 50% off. If your house is anything like mine, breakfast is the most frantic meal of the day. We all want to start the day off with a wholesome meal for our kids, but the time crunch makes it difficult. Magic Spoon helps relieve the morning rush with tasty cereals, high in protein for a great start to the day. Magic Spoon offers a variety pack with four delicious flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And it has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs per serving. Each Magic Spoon cereal is made with wholesome ingredients and no artificial flavors or dyes. And since it's gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free, it's great for a variety of dietary needs. Go to magicspoon.com slash momwell to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code momwell at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund you your money, no questions asked. Try a delicious bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash momwell and use the code momwell to save $5.
okay, so what about like witching hours or like colicky babies where we've established, you know, they're just fussy and it is kind of what it is. Like how can we find some acceptance around that and deal with that? Because I feel like that's a bit different than the average, right, than the norm that people face. Yeah, totally. So radical acceptance is a concept that is really rooted in cognitive behavioral therapy that talks about this idea that the more that we have resistance to our reality, the more difficult that it actually becomes to deal with that reality that we have. Hmm. So for example, when I had my colicky baby, if I was to have spent my entire time being like, why do I have this colicky baby? I don't want to have this colicky baby. I just think it's unfair. I'm not going to let her be colicky baby. I'm going to fight against it. I'm going to make her be like a calm baby. Mm-hmm. Okay. It wouldn't have changed anything. Right. And it would make me like even more frustrated. Now, I'm not saying that people should not grieve to people, that they should not be transparent about what their feelings are. I think you can still be fully accepting of something and be kind of like, angry or disappointed that it's happening. So radical acceptance is not you like shoving your feelings under the table or under the rug and saying, okay, it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. But it is spending a lot of time saying, this is the reality. As much as I want it to change, it's not going to. So now what? Yeah. Now what am I going to do? Exactly. And that, again, allows you to open your mind up to that problem-solving part of it. To figure out like, okay, so in the context of me having a colicky baby or a baby who doesn't sleep, what am I going to do to support myself in this current reality? The things that I found the most helpful and that other moms that I see in clinic find the most helpful are things like having a doula or are things like having another friend who's maybe had a baby that you can like give them a bottle of wine in exchange for coming over for a night. It could be your partner that you are handing things off with. That said, there are some people, I'm a huge fan of equity in households, you know, for parenting partners, but that said, there are some partners who get overwhelmed themselves and it would be too much Mm. to expect that it could be completely like in an equitable place. Maybe you need somebody else that's a third party for a small period of time. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that really like leaning into what are my strengths given the reality of what I'm working with, what are my strengths? What are my hours that I am doing the best with this, that I'm coping the best? Mm. What are the hours that I know, like those witching hours are going to be tough for me every single night and that I either need more support around me or that sometimes I need somebody else to just step in and literally take my place so I can go take a walk and remove myself from the situation. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really see it sort of like that pattern that we talked about before. If we're so activated and in it, like I think about being a first-time mom and I think about so many listeners who are here who are probably first-time moms and having conversations with my friend like, is this normal? Do I have a lemon? Mm -hmm. Like, is this what it's supposed to be like, you know? (laughs) And as a first-time mom, not having like a measuring stick to sort of gauge babies or temperaments, you know, not that we compare them to one another, but you can kind of sort of gauge how it goes, it's really hard to know why you can't soothe your baby and if it is your fault. Like, I think there's a lot of questioning that goes on. Like, am I not maternal enough? Do I not know what I'm doing? Am I failing in my role? And it becomes a really sort of like beating up on ourselves or like self-critical inner dialogue with ourselves 
that when we're in that space again and we're wrestling with the situation and there's not some acceptance around this is sort of the temperament of our baby or how they are, we are not going to create a system around these witching hours that come with that acceptance. So, okay, we know that 5 to 8 or 9 p.m. are going to be really challenging times. How do we choose the path of ease here? Mm-hmm. Are we going to cook dinner earlier in the day so we've got the minimal amount we need to do at nighttime? Mm-hmm. Are we going to call in some support during that time? Are we going to switch off each hour who's soothing baby? Like, I don't know. Whatever your family can come up with, we don't engage those skills if we're sitting there blaming and, and sort of beating ourselves up over the fact that our child is fussy And it's so hard as a new mom to switch out of that. I think that I really gained that ability more with my second and third to say like, oh, you know, he can wait a minute or I don't know. I just gained, I think, more tolerance for those pieces. But to the moms who are listening, and if you do have a fussy baby or colicky baby, like it's not a reflection of you, as we said, it's not your fault. And the more we can sort of accept the temperament or the situation the better we're able to problem solve and get you the support that you need. Yeah. Also, I mean, I want people to be wary of groups they join and support groups and that types of thing. But I think that the more you can also create in your social media feed, in your groups that you're on on social media, or even in real life, a community of people that sees you and you can see yourself in that, the better. So the more that you can say like, oh my gosh, that's me too. I'm not alone. I'm not the only person going through this. I think that really helps. I also think don't overlook the soothing activities you can take on during those moments of the witching hour that seem like really basic, but could be amazing for you. Like, okay, I at least want to be in my coziest robe. Okay. I at least want to, like, I used to put on Kevin Hart, like on Netflix (laughs) and listen to like comedy during that time. And just like try to kind of like get my brain like so that I'm at least like, like the dopamine surging like a tiny little bit or put on like some good music in the background, either soothing music or music that like reminds me that out there somewhere, someone is at a club dancing. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Like That type of thing. So I think there are small things like that too, especially I'm thinking about like maybe the single moms who feel like they are isolated, who don't have a village that's right there in their vicinity. And also for people who are feeling like hire a doula. Yeah. Right. That's so outside of my means. I'm not doing that. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, cause I think there's ways to engage like your neighborhood or people that are right around you that cost nothing. And also to do things for yourself that are virtual. So you can connect with other people and get that positive reinforcement for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think about those days when I was like home on maternity leave and well, how the night would go, one would predict the capacity I would have in the day. I feel Mm -hmm. like we were either having a good day or a bad day based on how sleep went is how it felt a lot of the time. And then, but as the day went on, the more touched out I was, the more feeding I did, the more diapers I changed and crying, you know, I dealt with and gas, we helped get out and whatever. Mm -hmm. The lesser my capacity by the end of the day. And then when Mm. those witching hours hit or you've got a colicky baby and those things really like rile up at nighttime, it's difficult if you feel depleted or if you're really sleep deprived to manage 
during those times. Yeah. And I just want to like acknowledge that piece, like our capacity when we're rested in the morning versus our capacity after functioning and caring and, you know, caregiving all day long are very different. So if like I would suspect, but maybe not that evenings are probably high sort of trigger times, hair trigger times for a lot of families because we're just depleted by the end of the day a lot of the time. When it comes to sleep and fussiness, is there anything there that you have with conversations with families or are there things that come up around crying at night and sleep? Yeah. I mean, I think that is one place I never want people to go spend more money than they need to, but that is one place where actually technology is starting to catch up quite a bit. So I feel like in our community, the snoo, for example, or like, you know, sleepers like that, that basically start to mimic what's happening with if a human was holding your baby those could be excellent. In our community, you can rent one. So it's like the cost of like a latte per day, mm. which for some people is out of reach. Right. But for a lot of people, you know, like I'd rather have you spending money on that than I would you buying like a fancy crib, you know, that looks nice in your nursery. I would rather have you spend money on getting a night doula for like two nights out of the week. So you know that's something you could look forward to for nighttime for somebody else to care for your baby in the middle of the night or to like, again, spring for like a friend to come over and you reimburse them in some way than I would for you to buy your kid five cute outfits. You know what I mean? Like we all have a budget. And so as you're thinking about your budget and where you want to invest, I would really be investing in the nights because you're absolutely right. Like I would have a way easier time in the day. And then as we got closer and closer to the evenings, I would start to feel that dread come in of like, here we go. Mm-hmm. This is going to suck again, you know? And like, it's either going to be a good night, which it was one out of 10, right. or it's going to be a horrible night. And then I know tomorrow I'm going to be even further down this rabbit hole than I was. Totally. And we talk a lot here about if we know we've got a sleeper that wakes up a lot or we're going through a regression or teething or something, again, with the acceptance, like if we see that and can distinctly separate a plan for mom sleep from being reliant upon baby sleep, this is something I really am an advocate for because mom sleep, while it does when we're solo depend upon baby sleep when we're the only provider that's accessible, Mm -hmm. but we can plan intentionally for mom to get rest and have reprieve at nighttime when we think it through and pull on our community and pull on, like you said, friends and different people, whether baby is going to sleep through the night or not. And I cannot like underscore that enough, right? If we're really struggling, if we have no tolerance for crying, no tolerance for colic, we're just at our wits end, a restful four to six hours of sleep could reset so much for you if we could carve that out, whether someone's up bouncing baby and soothing them, you know, or baby is sleeping or not, like you need to care for you. And there's some really creative ways to do that. We have a whole sleep plan. It's like 15 pages to help you do that. And it's happyasmother.co slash sleep. And we'll link it in the show notes, but there are ways to do that. I could not agree more with what you just said. That is one of the most important things that moms have to do is separate out their sleep from baby sleep. And here's what I see as a medical professional in my office. Parents get so keyed in on making a baby sleep through the night faster than they are ready Mm. biologically, 
physiologically to sleep through the night. And those babies, a lot of time end up underweight, malnourished. They end up with all kinds of problems. So please separate out your sleep needs from your baby's needs. And you're right. That means if your baby needs to wake up every hour or two hours or three hours, let them do that so they can get the food they need. And then you have to figure out a a system for yourself where you get to have the four hours of rest, but somebody else is there caring for your baby during those times when your baby is awake. It's way better to focus on your sleep being really consistent and you getting a chunk of time every single night than it is to making it that your baby is doing that. Because ultimately, a lot of times, sometimes babies are amazing and they sleep through the night right when we want them to. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, babies are incapable of it unless forced. And then it causes a ton of problems from a medical perspective. So focus on your sleep first. Yeah, I think that it's so important and it gets misconstrued and advice redirects us back to troubleshooting baby's sleep. Um, so many things for mom can be supported and prevented and lessened when we're talking like anxiety and mood issues when we are planning for maternal sleep and parents having shift work and just have an articulated plan around it. Mm-hmm. I'm curious as we think about wrapping up, like for the mom or the parent who is struggling to soothe and or struggling to regulate while they're soothing and these kinds of things and feeling like they're just crummy and not not doing it right and they're just not picking up this parenting thing, what might be some like little mantras or little reassuring statements that we can leave with them that they can tell themselves in these moments? Because I think like you spoke about these self-compassionate pieces in this radical acceptance, what might be some little words of encouragement for them? Yeah, totally. Okay. There's three things I would say. Hmm. Number one, just because this is difficult does not mean I'm doing it wrong. Mm. Just because this is challenging does not mean I'm doing it wrong. That's good. Number two is I was specifically designed to be this baby's parent. I was supposed to be this person's parent like over and over again, like this was like predestined. I was supposed to be here with this kid, you know, like we are meant to be together. And then I think the third is I am enough. Like I am enough. Mm. I can do this. There's nothing wrong with me. I am enough who I am. And I don't need to do more to fix it. I am enough. Like, I think that those things, and I don't mean you're enough, like you don't need anybody's help. You can do it on your own, Mm -hmm. but more like there's nothing I need to like make myself better or to like get up to somebody else's level or to make my kid like the star baby. Like, nope, I'm good. I have enough value inside myself as a parent Mm -hmm. to be what this baby needs. Those are the things Mm -hmm. that I tell myself still as a parent of a six-year-old and a nine-year-old yeah. that even though it's hard sometimes, I'm still doing it right. And that I'm enough and that I am meant to be their parent. And that means that I have something amazing to teach them or to show them or to model for them. And, and I can do it. I love those so much. And the, especially the this is hard, but it doesn't mean I'm doing it wrong. Like there is nothing harder I've done in my entire life them parenting, right? Mm-hmm. And modeling a similar story to you, feeling like go getter and could take on and do all the things and A type and perfectionist. Parenthood smacked me in the face. Like I hit a brick wall, did not know what I was getting myself into and in, you know, like what I was up against. 
But just because these moments are difficult doesn't mean that we're failing or we're doing it wrong. And I think that that is incredibly helpful. Thank you so much for your time. Please tell us, tell the listeners, where can they find you? Where can they learn more from you? What are you up to these days? I hang out mostly on the gram on Instagram. So you can find me there. I'm at Modern Mommy Doc. Feel free to slide into my DMs on the gram. And we try to be as authentic and real as possible when we're there. We try to really relate to moms and help them feel seen. So that is the goal on Instagram. We're at Modern Mommy Doc. You can also find us on the web at modernmommydoc.com. And then our app is available in the Apple Store at Modern Mamas Club. And that's where you can find consultants. You can find really interactive ways to do our framework, which we call the Conflicted to Centered Framework, which is really aimed at helping moms and especially working moms to feel like they are not lost in a sea of chaos or overwhelm, but instead they have a way to organize their stress and to hone in on their values and what gives them meaning and purpose. So at Modern Mommy Talk and the Modern Mamas Club app. It looks beautiful. I think that what you're doing and what you're pouring your heart and soul into is so valuable. So thank you for the work that you do. And I appreciate you being here with us today. Thank you so much. Wasn't that such a great conversation with Dr. Whitney? I've used that last coping statement there that just because it's hard doesn't mean that I'm doing it wrong so many times since I've had this conversation with her. It is a game changer. Taking care of babies is hard. Raising children is difficult. And for me, when I was going through my own postpartum depression and anxiety, I didn't know what my baseline should be. Was it this hard for everybody else? Were they struggling as much as I was struggling? Were they enjoying moments of motherhood? One of the red flags that popped up for me was wondering whether I should seek help, telling my husband that I didn't feel like myself. So yes, motherhood is hard, and I wanna say that it's hard for everybody who experiences it, but when we cannot tell what somebody else's baseline is compared to ours, and we're left trying to figure out if our struggle is harder or more difficult or things seem to come more naturally or easily to others, it can be a really slippery slope of comparison and shame and belittling of ourselves. Our maternal mental health therapists are trained to know what a baseline should look like and to inform you whether what you're experiencing falls within the average or norms or not, or that your baseline is elevated and that you might be struggling. Having somebody who's trained to know what it is that they're looking for and give you the feedback to know what is normal and what is not normal might be the thing that you need if you're struggling. So I encourage you to seek out our wellness center, happyasamother.co slash wellness to learn more. That's happyasamother.co slash wellness. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where I'm being joined by freelance journalist, speaker, and author Gemma Hartley to further understand the mental load of motherhood and learn how to adjust the imbalance of household labor within your own home. You do not want to miss it. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. 
You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast. To join the Happy as a Mother VIP list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to happyasamother.co slash newsletter. Until next episode, Mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing an amazing job.